0: What we're hoping uh, in, in further tests is to show that we can rule out the depressed phase of bipolar disorder or the, uh, the uh, negative sy- symptoms of schizophrenia, which have some overlap with depression.
1: Hello, this is Al Levin, the creator and host of The Depression Files. If you enjoy the podcast and have found value in the show, please check out my Patreon page. There, you'll be able to support me financially with as little as a dollar a month. Your support will help me offset the cost of the podcast hosting site, maintain and update my equipment, and support the amount of time that it takes in order to produce the show. You can find my Patreon page at patreon.com slash the depression That's Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the depression files. In addition, it would help me out greatly if you could take a minute to rate and review the show. Thank you for considering to support me in these ways. And now to the show. Welcome to the Depression Files, an interview format show in which you'll hear stories of men who have struggled with depression and or other mental illnesses. In addition, you'll hear deep-dive conversations with guest experts on various topics related to mental health, topics such as depression and other mental illnesses, medication, suicide awareness and prevention, our current mental health system, and of course, the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. I believe that both sharing stories and educating people are ways to chip away at the stigma. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Depression Files. This is Al Levin, your host. I'm really excited. Today on the line we have Dr. Mark Rasnick. He is a distinguished professor of physiology and biophysics, as well as psychiatry, and the director of the Biomedical Neuroscience Training Program at the University of Illinois College of Medicine, and he is also a research career scientist at the Jesse Brown Veterans Hospital. Dr. Raznick, thank you so much for joining me, and welcome to the show. After
0: all that, do we have time to talk?
1: <laughs> I think we do. That, that's quite an intro. You have quite the credentials there, Dr. Raznick. That's awesome. So, you know, you and I had a a brief chance to talk, just some fun connections through Chicago where you grew up, your folks grew up, uh, my folks grew up. So it was great getting to know you in that respect. I'm wondering, though, if you could start just uh, letting everybody know about your path into physiology, biophysics, psychiatry, neurosciences. What got you to where you're at?
0: Well, um, actually, when I I graduated, uh, I finished my undergraduate training in in, uh, 1971. And you remember there was a war going on then. Absolutely. I had been a member of the People's Peace Treaty delegation to Hanoi uh, during the war and was extremely active in the peace movement. After I graduated college, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I did anti-war work uh, with the National Student Association for about a year. And then I was talking to my undergraduate advisor, and he said, "So what are you going to do next year?" And I said, "Well, I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I should go to law school." And he said, "Well, why do you want to go to law school?" And I said, going "To go into politics." And he said, "Schmuck." <laughs> I don't know if I can say that on the radio. You'll you believe- can say that. That's all right. No one's ever going to vote for you. You're a traitor. Don't you remember that? You went to Hawaii. Oh,
1: my goodness.
0: It was like he, I mean, he said he didn't believe that, but he said his view was that that was how other people would react. Right. And he said, so, you know what? Uh, and I have I, I had, uh, um, well, initially an ulcerative colitis and then uh, rediagnosed later on as Crohn's from the time I was 15 and knew that I really couldn't do clinical work because I couldn't stay up all night. So he arranged everything and he said, you know, you're going to do science and then you'll go out, you'll go to some college campus and you can be Mr. Chips and as left as left as you want. Um, but it kind of transformed into working on a very, you know, a biological project that ultimately involved serotonin to really working with, with, you know, human brain and, 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 then that kind of morphed into, into uh, depression. The way I got into depression actually was when I was at Yale, um, uh, a, um, a guy came to me, well, we met at an anti-war rally or anti-nuclear rally. Okay. And he said, um, he wanted to do this stuff with antidepressants and G proteins And I said, because I was doing a lot with G proteins at the time. And I said, you know, that's not going to work, but let's try this. And we tried it the way I suggested. And it turned out that it worked, you know, better than I would have expected. And it actually was a science paper in 1983. And that kind of got me into not just looking at G protein signaling and the, the structural parts of the cell, You know, in other words, how do neurotransmitters work on a very basic level? But how are they involved in depression, and how are they involved in the action of antidepressants? Wow! And that's been going on for a long time.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't. It sounds like you almost fell into it more than anything.
0: Um. Well, what it doesn't it. Isn't it Pasteur that said chance favors only the prepared mind? Right, right, <laughs> okay. right. Wow. But what? yes and no. But yes, it was uh, David Menkes, who is now in New Zealand, uh, who who actually started me on on antidepressants. And he was a he was an MD PhD student with a an, in another laboratory. Right. Um,
1: but. And when you say he started you on antidepressants, it was he started you on the study of antidepressants. On the study of antidepressants. Right. right. Not actually taking the antidepressants.
0: I, I have taken. I have taken. Um, um, I, I don't know if it was citalopram or escitalopram because it was a long time ago. Okay. And it, But it pro- probably had more anxiety than depression. Yeah. I started feeling better right away. Okay. And we'll talk about that in a moment, the idea of the, the long, the, the, the time lag for or the, the hysteresis for antidepressant action. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It took them for a short time, and, uh, and they did
1: help me. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really excited for this conversation because, for, for lots of reasons, but you have some incredible research that we'll get into that uses one single biomarker in a simple blood test, that you are using to help, uh, my understanding is diagnose depression and to check on whether or not an antidepressant one has started will actually work for them.
0: Yes, and we also believe that it will give an early indicator, because it's in platelets, and platelets only live a week. Wow! So, so we're it's our, our it 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 is our hypothesis, although we haven't proved it yet that we'll be able to see this change in a week.
1: Oh, my God. This but the is...
0: change that we've already seen is really, uh, even though the study was small, the, the, the change was quite quite marked. Yeah. And statistically very, uh, very significant.
1: Well, this is incredible stuff that can could change the work of doctors in the medical field with working with patients around depression. It's incredible. My first question for you, though, and this is one that I've tried to figure out with many people, but because you know so much about antidepressants, it seems to me, and I would love to if you could tell me I'm totally way off base here, but it doesn't seem like there's any kind of research anymore around new antidepressants. Is that uh, correct, or would you say I'm off base there? No,
0: that's that's actually not correct. Okay. First of all, well, you know, ketamine, which is actually a very old drug, yeah, uh, just was approved, and that's really a different mechanism. Exactly. than the, um, there certainly is a lot of excitement about uh, psychedelics.
1: Yeah. So so those I completely agree. That like, and I've interviewed some some research around some incredible possibilities with psychedelics with MDMA. And as you mentioned, the ketamine infusions and so forth. And ketamine was now approved, I know, not too long ago, a couple of years ago, maybe now through nasal dispenser for ketamine or S-ketamine. Um, so yeah. that's some incredible research, but that is not your typical SSRI or SNRI, which well, I not, think is, it's is not, awesome. It's not even closely related to it. Right. So are there any, is there any research still on your basics SSNRI, SS? RIs and SNRIs, or is though is that just a thing of the past now? And they're trying to develop, like you said, uh, medicines that work in a different on a different mechanism, a completely I mean, there different are, way. There's
0: still a couple of branded antidepressants which were approved not that long ago that are SSRIs or SNRIs. There is also there is some work going on on other molecules that have a different mechanism of action. One of the the recently approved ones was from. Uh, sage pharmaceuticals where they uh, allo and i can never remember if it's allopregnanolone or allopregnanolone but it's a neurosteroid which has been used for postpartum depression um so that's a different mechanism of action okay. okay so yeah there there's not enough and and you know the problem is well actually there are three problems one is that the trials are very expensive so pharma is reluctant to, to do things that they don't see a big financial return on. Right. Uh, another is that it's difficult to to stratify uh, patients for these trials. And you even have some people going into these trials that that have no medical problem whatsoever, but it's not so hard to fake depression. Okay. And of course, those people are going to get better no matter what you give them because they think they're supposed to. Right. Um, You also have the problem of, and I'm not going to say the problem of placebo response, because, you know, when you're doing these trials, um, you're not getting the drugs from a vending machine. Someone's talking to you and trying to evaluate how your depression is going. And it's a person that no matter what, they're going to be, uh, you know, they're, they're going to show some kind of empathy. So that human interaction could be very, you know, could be, quote unquote, therapeutic. Okay, so what are the other problems? The other problems are that, in terms of research, when we think about the magnitude of the problem represented by depression, which if it you know it's one in you know one in one in six of us either uh, either were are or will be depressed, and and frankly that number has actually gotten even a little higher,
1: right? You know,
0: Uh, and uh, that's that's an enormous number that's a in fact the world health organization says depression is the leading cause of disability now right yet if we look at uh, the amount of the the funds expended on research it's nowhere close to proportional now that doesn't mean that we shouldn't spend the money that we're spending on cancer it means we should spend more money on depression right let's look at the difference between cancer research and research and depression in cancer we've got a lot of money there and you've gotten the ability recently to target to dive down into mechanism and get and target very specific pathways now it's true some of these drugs are very expensive they work for a couple months and they stop working on the other hand you had a couple of months of a pretty good health without any significant side effects that you were that you were alive for and you know that's that's a big deal right but it but it's because of the amount of money that's being spent and the ability to uh you know to 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 identify very specific targets um look at the benefit that uh, you know the, the fact that that we were able to, to make these rna vaccines very quickly is a result of, of funding for aids right AIDS, so if you haven't gotten aids vaccines but it was that kind of it was that vaccine research that allowed us to develop so that it's so important that we spend more on on research and really and really begin to to understand depression in a way that we don't. I mean, I don't even know. None. I I don't think any of us would tell you that depression is a single disease. Right. right. Uh, look, there's the genetics are, are pathetic. Yeah. So and, may, and maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a phenotype that, 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 that is caused by a number of different things, stress clearly being an important one, and that, that the fact that, that two-thirds of the people get better on a on one on a typical antidepressant drug, you know, maybe just dumb luck.
1: Yeah, right. Maybe it would have happened anyhow given the six months or whatever they were on the antidepressant.
0: Well, certainly for mild to moderate depression, that probably
1: is the case. Right.
0: For more severe depression, no, it's not.
1: Right. Right. So a couple quick questions I have for you. Is it just the return on investment that you mentioned that is preventing the money to be spent on on the research for depression that is so needed?
0: No. If you look at, let's say if you're a drug company and you say, okay, I can make I have this target, I can make this cancer drug, and I have a pretty good idea it's gonna work, and I can charge a lot of money for it, and I can make a lot of money on it. Versus, well, you know, I have this idea, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. It's so much so that that in in the case of the of of depression because we don't have the science that really identifies with precision, the targets it's much you're, you're more likely to fail. Right. And you know, if you were a a drug company executive and you're faced with doing something that you were pretty confident, you know, had a very good chance of working versus something that had a, a much lesser chance of working, which one are you going to do?
1: But it still does boil down to return on investment. Right if it yeah, fails probably. you're not going to be able to sell it and make money.
0: Um right. And now you know the, the on the other hand the market's enormous. Right. I mean if if the, the number of people that suffer from depression is is just
1: astronomical.
0: Astronomical.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking about big pharmas, right? I mean is there a way could could and should the federal government or the World Health Organization be be pushing for more research and, and helping fund those research.
0: Absolutely, both you know, and both on the, the level of uh, uh, u- the university and, uh, and and research institution level, right? And and small startup companies, you know, we have one called Pax Neuroscience, and we're we've been funded uh, with small business grants from the government. Uh, we're seeking, you know, bigger investments so that we can actually begin to, to at least make a test that, that helps people, you know, know that they know what, what they're on and know that, that at least they can, they can switch if, if after a week or so, uh, instead of waiting eight weeks that they can switch earlier, right. Or, right. or they can be told, stick with it. Cause this is going to work. Yeah. So I know you're going to be miserable for a little while, but. You're going to get through this.
1: Yeah. Evidence through the biomarker that you've discovered in the blood sample. Yeah. Right. So let's get into that. So, I mean, you just said yourself, and I completely agree that there may be multiple types of depression that exist. And if you are working on a blood test, are you then saying that every single type of depression does eventually impact the bloodstream that there is a uh, biological feature no matter what kind of depression you have. Ah, uh, well
0: that's the that's the argument of causation versus correlation. Okay. And and my argument is I don't know what causes depression, and neither does anybody else. Right. But I know that every antidepressant we've looked at, and I'm including ketamine, and I'm including some of the psychedelics, you know, different time courses, different doses, different, uh, you know, a lot of different parameters. But they all have the ability to move GS-alpha out of lipid rafts and increase the association of GS-alpha with to make this intracellular messenger called cyclic AMP.
1: You're speaking another so, language at this moment. Yeah, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, they all do
0: they all have the biomarker effect that we've seen. Okay. You know, it doesn't, so that's the point. And so that if someone says to me, well, what proof do you have that G proteins and lipid rafts are causative for depression? Okay, those are the, that's part of, that's what the biomarker's based on. Okay. And I say, none. (laughs) But I can show you both, you know, both in, in, in clinical and preclinical models that they all, you know, that this is a pathway that somewhere, let's say, you know, let's say there are 10 steps and there, and and steps uh, one through eight are different and all these in different forms of depression, but at least step nine and step 10 involve specifically the, 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 something that, that that is reflected in our biomarker. Right. So we don't care. I mean, it's just not important. Yeah. Ultimately, it would be great if we could figure out therapeutics based on this and come up with new therapies. Right. But for right now, I would argue, you know, look, right now, all you have is someone you know, someone asking you a bunch of questions and coming up with a numeric scale based on your answers. Yep. You know, it's a Hamilton depression rating, a Montgomery Asperger depression rating, Beck's right. depression, whatever. Yeah. Based on your answers to some questions. Right. And that's if you're lucky enough to be seeing a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Yeah. If you're going to primary care and in primary care, primary care docs write 80% of the prescriptions for antidepressants in the US. Yeah. You're asked two questions, right? right? Are you feeling depressed and are you not getting pleasure out of things you used to get pleasure out of? Right. Well, that's not very quantitative.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Not at all. No, not at all. So, um, so I guess, so my question, and and I think you just answered it, but if I told you like, here's man, like person a, uh, is going through a major depression, you know, they have significant life changes, just lost a, lost a parent and, you know, their job is is going downhill. They think they might they might get fired, and this person has fallen into a depression versus here's a person, person B, who's 40 years old and has grown up knowing that they have a con- constant low-grade depression, used to be called dysthymia. I think they call it other things now, but both would have a biomarker in their blood to indicate that they have depression. Yeah. Okay. No matter what. Okay. That's awesome. That is really awesome. So, yeah.
0: And what we're hoping uh, in, in further tests is to show that we can rule out the depressed phase of bipolar disorder or the, uh, the uh, negative sy- symptoms of schizophrenia, which have some overlap with depression.
1: Absolutely. So you're saying hopefully through that biomarker, you'll be able to tell if it is actually depression associated with bipolar disorder or if it is just depression.
0: We have some very preliminary results. Yeah. It's not, you know, not enough to publish. Right. But they suggested that and they because these bipolar uh, platelets from these bipolar subjects were harvested at the same time that we got the depressed, uh, the playlist from depressed subjects, and the bipolar's look more like, um, like the healthy controls than they did like the depressed subjects.
1: Okay, wow. So, so I did say that correctly, right? You would be able to distinguish whether somebody has depression associated with bipolar disorder versus they just have depression. Yeah, that's incredible.
0: cheers I hope she's listening.
1: Wow, that that is incredible. So in what ways do you see, and I, I mean, I can think of some right off the, the bat, but how will this help a patient and a doctor when they're able to take a blood test to see if they have depression? I mean, somebody might already know, right? Like I'm, I'm super sad or I'm, I'm numb to feeling everything's changing. And a doctor may say, well, that's depression. So what will the blood test do as far as the diagnosis of depression?
0: All right. Well, let's take first those 80% of, of, of people who are going to be treated by their primary care doc yeah. for their depression and, or whatever. So they come in and they answer these two questions and their doc says, eh, I think you're depressed and I'm going to put you on escitalopram, Lexapro, because it's, you know, it's, it's commonly used and it's not really going to hurt you. All right. But I'm going to take your blood and then you're going to come back in a week and I'm going to get some more blood. And I'm going to see, and then after that, I send it in, and, and it's analyzed, and we say, well, uh, yeah, the subject is depressed, and gee, it looks like they're going to respond to, to what you're treating them with, so go for it. Right. Or the, the, the second scenario is, you know, I don't think they're depressed, and you need to refer them to to someone who can more accurately diagnose them and then we'll figure it out and that can be a psychologist or a social worker even who then will would then go back to the primary care doc and say well you know they're not depressed right (laughs) i I think they're suffering from bipolar disease so let's try something else or okay now our third scenario is yes you're depressed and no it doesn't look like this drug is working so we need to try something else right again probably it's important to refer them out to someone who is more more capable of of uh, treating their 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 uh, psychiatric problem
1: right well i wonder if if it may also cause a scenario that is like well, they're not depressed, I had them check in with a social worker or a psychologist, and did you check out the thyroid or other possible physical ailments that may be contributing to mood? Well, yep, <laughs> yeah, okay, wow, that is fantastic. So if the doctor says, "Hey, blood test came back the uh, you know I've got you on uh, lexapro or whatever it may be, uh, it is not working. that blood test won't tell them what should come next, right? But I would imagine they would probably go to a different class of antidepressants, maybe? Um,
0: that's right. Now, one of the things, and this is down the road, that we're working on is using our, we've, we've made this, our, the, the protein that is relevant for our biomarker fluorescent. And the idea of being able to infect, you know, to, to, to put that into a patient's blood cells, and put them on a dish with, say, 96 wells in it and treat the different wells with different drugs or combinations of drugs or dro- or different doses of drugs and look over a three-day period to see how it's changing the, the distribution of that protein and then say, okay, um, this is what we're going to use.
1: Right. Wow!
0: So that we're not there yet. Again, this is where Pax Neuroscience is working on this. Uh, that's not actually going on in my laboratory at the University of Illinois.
1: Okay, but incredible stuff. I mean, and for those listeners uh, who may not know or haven't used an antidepressant, I mean, this is this is huge because typically, what would you say it takes for uh, someone to have full effect or even start the effect? Of an antidepressant, isn't it correct that it could be four to six weeks?
0: Oh, four to six, you know, two months isn't uncommon.
1: Yeah, right. Which means, and this is what blows my mind all the time, like you could be working with a patient who is severely depressed, who could eventually be, if they are not already, suicidal, and and they have to take a pill and wait six to eight weeks to see whether or not it's going to work. So to be able to go back in within one week, and the doctor to draw your blood and use this simple biomarker to say, nope, we got to switch you up now is is so huge for the people who are struggling with depression. It's amazing.
0: And, you know, and but the other thing it tells us or suggests to us. is, you know, we talk about uh, the serotonin uptake inhibitors. Yeah. As they're they're. Their mechanism of action is inhibiting serotonin uptake.
1: Meaning it's keeping the serotonin in the brain rather than taking it in.
0: It, no, it it, keep, it would still keep it in one way or the other. Okay. It's, in other words, it's, does it take it up into cells? Right. Either nerve cells or glial cells, or does it leave it outside the cell? Right. Okay. Now, but here's the problem. These, they, these drugs inhibit serotonin uptake in a couple of hours, so why are they taking a couple of months to work?
1: Great question. I hope you have the answer.
0: Not yet, <laughs> <laughs> but we do. We do. We are finding we, that that. Uh, in fact, we had a paper showing very clearly that these drugs move, sort out into the lipid rafts, and they do it slowly. They don't do it right away, and the lipid rafts are lipid rafts are are pieces of the membrane that have a lot of cholesterol and they're so they're they're more rigid and they and the the drugs find these rigid structures but they find them slowly right so we do think that has something to do with their action exactly what i don't know right you know
1: but that's why we do science yeah
0: exactly and you know we're wrong a lot and that's okay
1: (laughs) yeah yeah. um does does the biomarker at all tell you the depth of depression that one may be in on kind of a continuum of mild depression to suicidal?
0: Don't have enough subjects yet to, to, to say that. Um, however, it did look like the, if we looked at the degree to which people got better, in other words, some people improved a little, some people improved a lot that the the restoration or the movement towards the towards the norm correlated very well with the the change in the Hamilton depression rating. In other words, so as people got less dep- people as people got less depressed, their the biomarker changed more. okay. So I can't answer the first one yet. I mean, we kind of suspect it will, but again, we need more. We need to do more more research for that. But the second one, we do have some data which suggests that, yeah, that's that's right. Which would which would then, if it's changing in response to the to the to the lessening of disease, that would de facto suggest that there is some relationship to with the extent of the biomarker and the extent of disease right right but i don't know yet
1: yeah what's next as far as your research and and how do you make sure that you're able to continue this research and with larger numbers it sounds like you need to come up with some real recommendations and and how long could it be until we're actually at the doctor's office and they're giving us a blood test for depression or even just using it as one of their typical, hey, you're having your yearly blood draw, let's uh, check out depression level too.
0: Well, there are a couple of answers to that. Uh, In terms of the timing, if Pax Neuroscience can attract enough funding in the short term, and we, you know, certainly have some possibilities that are that are that are out there right now. Then we could actually begin to screen bloods, and we wouldn't have FDA approval, so we can't really claim anything other than that we would uh, that we would say that we would be able to confirm uh, a diagnosis of depression and suggest that a drug might be working. You know, and as long as we're, uh, and uh, I should get the CEO of the company, who's a lawyer, to, to, to say that more, more clearly. Right. In other words, there, there are some things that you can do now. In addition to that, we were, we we're trying to get funding. Uh, and one of the places that I think should be funding, this is the department of defense because, you know, um, 21 uh, veterans or active duty uh, soldiers, sailors, or, or flyers are killing themselves every day. Right. And, you know, we can help and we could, we hope to be able even to to turn this into a point of care test right. so mm-hmm. that, you know, with with funding from, from the DOD, we could do the studies of the size that we need in order to, to establish the validity of the biomarker. Right. But the, the study that I'm talking about is gonna cost. The, the study itself, will cost about $4 million. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, it's
0: these things are expensive.
1: Yeah, but $4 million could change the lives of how many people? Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know. well, I I'm, I'm maybe someone from
0: the the DOD is listening. It's it's really tough to find the 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 people there that are you know to 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 identify someone who will be
1: interested. Right. So is that org- the company you're referring to are they um then kind of lobbying to the DOD to say hey this is what we need? Um because I doubt it's just going to happen to be one DOD staff member no, who hears this bo- this we, we, podcast that that decides to give you all all the money yeah. you need.
0: Um, <laughs> I'm trying to find the right person. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm trying to. I, some people are trying to help us find the right person. Right. Uh, but that that would be because that's a lot of money. You know, that's bigger than than. Um, right. Than a lot of the this is more money than the NIH would normally spend for a study like this. So that they're the ones who a would benefit enormously. Yes, and b have the funds for
1: sure to for sure. this kind of study. It's a big ask, and it's needed. Yeah, it's right? a big ask, but you know, it, it it's a it's needed. It's a big deal too. Yeah, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Um, I don't know if we spoke at all just about you know, people who are in depression don't always, I mean, people tell them to just buck up, right? And get tough and tough it out. Or some men in particular have that expectation of themselves. And I would imagine a biomarker where a doctor could say, hey, look, you. I can see from a blood test that you have an illness called depression. Would also really support people in reaching out for help and then going for the therapy they need or the medications they need.
0: The NIMH has suggested that only 50% of people who are depressed get treatment.
1: Yeah. The other so data point see- I, I always hear is people live with depression for about 10 years before they reach out for help.
0: And, and you're absolutely right by, by being able to say, yeah, it's in my head, but it's in my blood too, that we can convince a lot of people. Yeah. Or otherwise wouldn't seek treatment to to do just that because we can convince them that that it's all biology.
1: Right. Right. It's not just in your head. It's not just like it is real. It's a, as real as cancer, like you were talking about earlier. It's as real as diabetes. That would be.
0: Well, you know, I, I spent a year. Uh, working for senator kennedy i was a Wood johnson fellow and one of the things he said in a hearing was it is an outrage that a person with a biochemical problem in their liver is treated with compassion yet one with a biochemical problem in their brain is scorned right and you know we got to get over this because it's all and and also we we um One of the things that the American Brain Coalition, which is an organization I work with, is doing is trying to convince the public and as well as policymakers that brain disease is brain disease. And it doesn't matter if it's if it's psychiatric or neurologic, it's still brain disease. Yeah. And needs to be addressed both from the terms of increased research and uh, increased access to treatment. You know, this is also a social justice issue. Yes. Of the stigma that people with with depression and other psychiatric diseases face.
1: Absolutely. Yep. And the, and again, this biomarker test could do wonders around the stigma, right, when people have evidence. Yep. Yeah, huge. Wow, awesome. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to think, like, is there a piece of this conversation that I have missed or need to be asking you about. Huh. Um, it, does, it does not, it would not help a doctor with dosage amount, I'm guessing. The, no. Unless
0: we were able to develop that, that um, ex vivo test I just mentioned to you. Okay. In which case you could do varying doses uh but it could say you know uh it, it it you could say if after a week it looked like it wasn't working one of the things you could do is increase the dose
1: right and do most medicines have a maximum dose that doctors should know that like anything more will will prove no efficacy yeah cuz that is what happened to me and i was on a particular medication And I told the doctor, hey, I am having some general thoughts of suicide. Could this be the depression or could this be the medicines? He said it could be either. He upped my meds and I became very suicidal and had a plan and scared the hell out of myself. And I ended up checking myself into a partial hospitalization program. And the psychiatrist there told me I would have never upped your dose when you had said that because there's no there's. Evidence that more of that same medicine has no further efficacy.
0: Yeah, I mean there are there are, are there right exactly that,
1: guidelines. That, I'm guessing. Pardon me. Guidelines that the doctors yeah, have and should yeah. know.
0: There are, are you know recommended maximum doses for right. But again, and, and the idea of combining it with something else becomes more attractive, but you know, you have to listen to the, to the patient.
1: Yeah. Yes. Well, it's super complicated, but I think going down the road of more research, it sounds like, uh, with your biomarker, I mean, it could get to the point where you can figure out, do we need to change the med? Do we keep the same med? Do we up the dose a bit? You know, it, it could get you really down to the nitty gritty specifics of how to manipulate the medicines, so that they can have the best quickest efficacy for the patient.
0: Right, well they're not going to be quick, but at least if you can tell someone, you know, you're going to get better. Right. You you certainly can can increase their their confidence.
1: Yes. And and I guess when I'm saying quicker, I mean like you will know if this medicine will work. So yes, it will still possibly take the 4 to 6 weeks or 8 weeks. But we know you're on the right medicine. We know you're on the right path rather than the amount of time of, well, six, eight weeks down, it's not working. Let's try another one and wait for another six to eight weeks to see if it works. so in that regard, it's quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, fascinating stuff. Incredible stuff. I, I really hope uh, you are able to secure the funding you need to further your your research, because this is, this is a massive breakthrough in the area of depression that is so needed.
0: Hey, well, maybe someone listening wants to invest in a company that could do it.
1: Well, I will certainly help promote any way I could.
0: It's, it's, it's kind it's PAX neuroscience. Yeah. Again, I'm a peace activist, as you know, so that's <laughs>
1: why I understand. Yeah. So um, one question I always end my interviews with is if somebody is listening to this show and they uh, and they are struggling with depression. What what piece of advice would you give them?
0: It's not your fault. Right. Let's, you know, don't don't let anyone tell you that, that you're worth you're less of a person because of your disease. Yeah. Yep.
1: And let's work together to try and find something that'll make you better. Awesome. That's huge. Yeah. Don't, don't get into the shame, uh, thing because it's, it's not about shame. And it's like you said, you said it very well. Um, so if people do want to find out more about you, Dr. Resnick and, uh, the, the company that you just mentioned, where, where can they go? Any particular Uh, website?
0: The company's website, which is being revised as we speak is, uh, www.paxneuroscience, one word, P-A-X-N-E-U-R-O-S-C-I-E-N-C-E dot com. Um, and uh, my name is spelled Rasnick, R-A-S-E-N-I-C-K. And I can be, you know, I'm also at, at, at the University of Illinois College of Medicine. Awesome.
1: Excellent. Well, I'll make sure I have that in the show notes as well so that people can find it easily. And, uh, wow. I want to thank you immensely from somebody who has been suicidal and been on medication and still taking a medication, by the way, I want to thank you for all of the research and work you are doing. And, uh, and I also want to thank you very much for taking the time to be on the depression files. I really appreciate it. Well,
0: thanks for having me and be well.
1: Excellent. You too. Stay healthy. All right. Thank you for listening to the depression files. Please know that if you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help in the U S you can text seven four one seven four one to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can go to suicide.org for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you're a man who has experienced depression or any other mental illness and would like to be interviewed for the show, Or if you'd simply like to suggest a topic, please reach out to me on Twitter at allevin18 or email me at thedepressionfiles at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files.